Good morning to each one of you, both online and in person here. Uh, I'm Pastor Joe, for those who don't know me. We're going to continue the series on the Beatitudes. Uh, Last Sunday, we spoke about mercy received and mercy given as an expression of our relationship with God. And the text today is verse 8 of Matthew. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And before we get into this text, I want to do with you a reading of a few verses in Psalm 139, which is part of, I believe, uh, the thoughts that went through the author of the book of Matthew and probably Christ putting this passage in different words. So we're going to read the first six verses and then drop to the uh, back of the chapter. Uh, This is one of David's psalms where he talks with God about a personal relationship with God. Many of his psalms are psalms of lament where he is bemoaning the struggles and the trials that he went through, the struggle and trials that the nation of Israel were going through. And he takes his focus off his problems, even though he does mention them in the psalm. But he puts his focus upon God and what God can do in and through him. And so he starts out by saying, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on your tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And down to the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any perverse Uh, wicked or reckless way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you at this time that you enable us to put aside all our thoughts Put aside our concerns, our worries. Put aside even 
in a certain sense, Lord, even our blessings so that we can hear what you have to say to us. Our minds are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to wander from the God we love. Our hearts are prone, Lord, to concentrate on something that is, is not really pertinent to our walk with you. So as the psalmist has said, search us. You who know our heart, search us, because in searching our heart, you reveal to us what is inside us. And maybe we be like David and say, Lord, expose my heart and guide me in the way of everlasting. And as we meditate and ponder for a few moments on what it means to be pure of heart, what it means to, to see you, may the meditation of my heart and our hearts and the words of my lips be totally for your honor and for your glory. May I only be a channel, only a voice, and yours be the honor and the glory when all is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the pure in heart. The ancient Greek word that is translated pure in heart brings with it the idea of straightness, honesty, clarity, single-mindedness. It brings the idea of a heart that is not divided by outside issues. It's a heart that gives full attention to the Lord. It's not so much the idea of sinlessness, even though that is the mission of Christ, is to take us with all our brokenness, with all our sin, with all our shame, and work in our hearts to the point that they become undivided. That he receives full attention from each one of us. But the backdrop of Jesus' teaching on this day takes us way back into the Old Testament. <clears throat> Perhaps even as far back as the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God clothed them with an animal. The animal had to have its blood shed, its life taken away, so that Adam and Eve could be clothed, and their physical nakedness could be covered, and God could start a work in their hearts. And making a long story, a shorter one, we come to Moses receiving the law with all its ceremonies, with all its sacrifices, with all the intricacies, a worship system that was to ensemble, restore a broken relationship with God. It was the intent 
was that the individual coming to terms with his, his, the brokenness of his heart seek a redeemer, seek a relationship. And so there were the, the, what the law really did was do a work on the outside of man. Man came with dirty robes. He had to change them to enter into the presence of God. He came with sin. He brought a lamb. The lamb was slain. Sin was confessed. And he was atoned for. But when we study the New Testament, that what only served for that particular moment of rebellion, only that particular moment of disconnection with God. And so as time went on, the rituals that were supposed to be a connecting way to God became outward and exterior expression of faith. Jesus, uh, rather, the Old Testament, the prophet said, uh, quoting God's words, circumcise your hearts, not your flesh. Part of the rituals was a, boy, a baby boy was born. On the eighth day, the boy, baby boy was circumcised to belong to the covenant relationship with God. But after a while, that became just a ritual. And Jesus came to fulfill all the shadows, all the symbolism, and to be the very one who could take away the sins of the world with one sacrifice, and that would be forever. We, you and I, have believed in Jesus Christ of our Savior. Our sins have been taken care of, but you and I stumble often in this Christian walk. We may not stumble every day, but we certainly stumble often in God's presence. And we can avail of the shed blood of Christ that was shed once and for all to take care of that. And so the backdrop of this is that there are several ideas to the, to the word uh, pure of heart. That one, there's one idea, it's an inner, inner moral purity that is contrasted with an outward ceremonial, temporary one. But the idea of what Jesus brings forward is the idea of an undivided heart devoted sincerely to him. A devotion not to a ritual, but to a person. A, a, a commitment not to a system, but to a fellowship. The Reformation took place because people had lost the message that Jesus was central. And rituals came back into play to the point that it was a dead religion, a dead relationship. You were fine as long as you were in the temple. You went out, it didn't matter anymore. And so when Jesus comes, he finds a divided world. There were those who were so religious, so pure in heart, 
rather in outward appearance, that they didn't need Jesus. They didn't need him because they didn't want him. They figured they had only attained the perfection that was needed. You find others that were that had given up hope and says, no, you're serving this God because we can't live up to his standards. And Jesus, in so many words, says to them, I'm not calling you to live up to a standard. I'm calling you to live with me. I'm calling you to live through me. I'm calling you to live in relationship with me because then you will have a pure heart and you will reach the standard required. It's not so much the exterior that matters, even though we feel at times that it does matter. We feel that, uh, that if I give my tithe to the church, if I don't curse and swear, if I do everything the, book, the good book says, I'm fine. And what happened in Jesus' day, a spirit of criticism came upon the Israelites. The religious leaders always were looking for someone to call and say, listen, you're not conforming. They, they went around even looking for ways they could trap Jesus. Because Jesus' way of living showed up that they were hollow. They were painted sepulchers. They were cups washed on the outside, but in the inside was full of division, envy, strife, etc., etc. Then you found others who figured, I have come to know Jesus. I've heard he forgives sins, so I can go on living as I well please. Both missed the mark. Those who are goody two-shoes and those who say anything goes as long as I have Jesus, both missed the mark. They missed what the law and the grace speaks about. The law was a standard that God had said, you must live by this, but you can't live with it apart from me. The others missed the mark. The grace of Jesus Christ came to transform the sinners into the likeness of Christ. And it boils down to the fact that we can't do that on our own. We can't live up to the law, and we can't live up to a, a, a pure life because we are broken and lost sinners. The old King James in, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says, He has made us acceptable in the beloved. We are accepted because of Christ. So Christ is actually dealing with the souls of man in, the, in these uh, Beatitudes. He is trying to deal and reach the inner spiritual nature of the person. He does this more or less with all the Beatitudes. But at this particular one, 
He strikes at the very center, at the very core, at the very target of our essence, of our being. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in language. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in action. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in ceremonies, in food, etc., etc. But blessed are the pure in heart. There was a missionary aboard one of the sailing ships over from Europe to the Americas. And the captain had bought at that particular time what was considered the most powerful telescope ever invented. And he to to jeer and make fun of this pastor missionary on the ship. He was looking at the stars at night through there and he said, I cannot see God. If he exists, I should be able to see him with this telescope. The missionary said, you're using the wrong telescope. What do you mean? You can only see God if you use the telescope called a pure heart. Our verse says, for they shall see God. In this pure of heart, we receive the most wonderful reward. We are led to enjoy a greater intimacy with God than we could ever imagine. The putting of uh, the uh, this work of Calvary, this work of making our hearts pure, actually purifies us from covetousness, oppression, lust in any kind, in any form, shape, or manifestation, any chosen way of living deception, you know, any way or in any means that the enemy uses or we ourselves use to bind ourselves in tradition or in a way of life. The, the, the gospel comes to free our heart from any form of pollution. And it is said, uh, no mortal eye can see and comprehend the essence of God. Yet, those whose hearts are purified by God shall see through the eyes of faith and enjoy through the eyes of faith the very essence and person of God, even though in this body, as Paul said, we see through a glass darkly using the old King James language. In other words, we can see as if it were through a mirror what God wants to do in and through us. In this present life, we can't enjoy it. Paul said that it cannot be explained to man what God has prepared for those who serve him and love him. There are no words to explain it. No human words to explain it. The heart cannot imagine. It's not sitting, okay, be saved to sit on a cloud and play a harp. Whoever invented that. It's not even to be saved to sing all thousands and thousands of years, standing there before God. The, the gospel, 
says that we will govern with Christ. Some feel that it, has, it refers to a time called the Millennial Kingdom, where Christ will reign in person a thousand years on earth. But I believe that even though it refers to that, it's much more than that. Scripture closes with saying that there's a new heavens, a new, new earth. So God has a lot of things for us to be involved in. And so we only can enjoy it in part, but we can see it by faith because of the pure heart. The heart pure person can see God in Scripture, can see, uh, can see God in the church family, can see God in the songs, can see God in the preaching, can see God in each other. The pure in heart can see beyond the flesh. The pure in heart can see beyond your brokenness. The pure in heart can, be, can, can see beyond all the baggage I bring and see each other as people saved by grace and mercy that we talked about last year and be able to see even in the most weird or broken person that comes our way, we look and say, wow, that is a, a work of art by our almighty God. The psalm, the part of the psalm that I skipped because of a long time, David talks how, how intricate the knitting together of David's days even before one of them existed. In other words, David saw God's working in eternity past, working and uh, somebody who was knitting or crocheting something. And we see the underside of the tapestry and God sees the top side, the picture that's forming. And so, uh, when we have experienced the purity of heart. As I said, it's not ritual. It's not knowledge. It's not any other kind of baggage. It's the broken, contrite heart that actually comes. If, we, if you go back to your Bible and read through all the, the Beatitudes and you come to, he talks about all the Beatitudes and Jorge's did a great job of bringing them through. And then yes, last Sunday we talked about the mercy. And today he centers in and says the pure heart. He goes back to talk about exteriors. He talks about the suffering, the persecution, etc., And the blessings in the midst of that, which to us is kind of a paradox. I'm suffering and yet I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, happy and blessed. But it's because you have come to a place of intimacy with God. Uh, Spurgeon once said that he was at a hotel at a table talking with a, another minister and across from their table was a gentleman uh, with a serviette tucked under his chin so that the bottle that he was drinking from would not tarnish his, his shirt and Spurgeon says his, his face indicated fondness 
for wine and other drinks. And this person said the remark, I have been in this world for 60 years and I have never yet been conscious of anything spiritual. And Spurgeon goes on to say that he did not respond to the comment, but he thought very likely that what he said, what he said was true and that there are many great people in the world who might say the same, but it's only because they have refused or, or neglected to come to hear Scripture read or come to understand God. And therefore, they, their consciousness was never touched by anything spiritual because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. What Spurgeon, I believe, was trying to say is there has to be a seeking of the heart. There has to be the allowance that the Holy Spirit can come in and touch the heart because it's the, the Spirit that searches the heart. David said, search me. He starts out with the psalm saying, you search me, you know me. But he invites God to search him even deeper. To show him where his anxiousness comes from. And yesterday we were in a study that says, an anxious spirit is the revelation of, if I am anxious about money, it's because I haven't fully trusted my finances to God. If I'm anxious about my health, it's because I have not fully entrusted to God my health. If I'm anxious about tomorrow, it's because I have not let him deal with my tomorrow. If I am anxious about my past sins, it's because I have not come to him and surrendered them to him. And so uh, uh, there's, there's an anxiousness that David understands needs to go for his heart to be pure. And he uses the term, see if there is any wicked way in me. I, I took time to look at all the different translations, English, Portuguese, Greek, Hebrew, to see wh- why the different... There's a certain word that can, it can be, uh, be used of idolatry. It can be used of strife. It can be used of, of lack of commitment. And it can be used as lack of uh, integrity. And so different scholars have translated this word, but actually the root word, the same meaning. There's an emptiness or an unsettledness in our hearts that only God can do anything about and give us uh, a relationship with him. Ultimately, this intimate relation with God must be our greatest motivation for purity. Our relationship with Christ must be our greatest motivation for purity. It must be greater than 
being caught red-handed. <laughs> it, it, it must be greater than my fear of consequences. This ultimate relationship with God must be my desire. It must be your desire. It must be our desire. And so I want to finish reading to you a few references from Scripture where some in the New Testament and some in the Old Testament. And Job in his struggles and trials, even with some of his friends, we call them no, not good friends because they sat and they criticized him, but only a true friend will sit in the dust for you for several weeks on end, even though he criticizes you. And the psalmist says, faithful is the criticism of a friend. So th these words come out, whether it was actually Job or, or one of these friends of his, it said, can a mortal man be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? There's a longing in the heart to be made right with God. And Jesus says, blessed is the person who has surrendered to me has come to me because he has a pure heart. His will be the kingdom. He will see God. Again in Job 8, 6, says, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. It's probably the quote from one of Job's friends. If you are pure and upright, God himself We'll take care of the rest. If our heart is where it should be, it doesn't matter our surroundings. God will take care of the rest. Job 11.4 uh, For you say, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth your word is the truth. And the word doctrine here is the teachings or the truth from God. So if, we, if our doctrine, our understanding who God is, even though it may be small, but it is what it, it is pure and true, then that word will make us clean before God and we can hear the words, blessed are the pure of heart. Job 15, 14. What is man that he can be pure? Or he who is born of a woman, can he ever be righteous? The New Testament is, yes. We all can be righteous. That doesn't mean sinless. But it means I stand forgiven. I stand justified before my Father in heaven. Therefore, whatever happens on earth doesn't break that relationship, I am pure of heart. Because it's not about behavior per se, even though behavior is important, it's about the relationship. Do you have a genuine relationship with God? Do you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ? 
Come as you are and let him do the rest. Let him transform you, build you up. Job 33, 9. You say I am pure without transgression. I am clean and there is no iniquity in me. Job would say that. Psalm 24, verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This psalm is in sign uh, the question, who can enter the house of the Lord? Who can dwell in his presence? And the answer of the psalm is, he who is clean of hands and pure of heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. There again, a relationship. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, you occupy your mind with what is honorable before God and man, and your heart will be pure. 1 Timothy 1.5, uh, Paul speaking to, precisely to Timothy, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 2 Timothy uh, 2.22 So flee from youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You want to walk with God? You find someone who is praising him and is serving him and walking him, and you become a companion. You cannot do it on your own. You need the companion of those who are seeking God's presence. And... 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And these are just a few of the verses. There's probably over a hundred of verses that speak to us about the pure of heart. You speak to us about God's enablement to have a pure heart. But the beatitude starts with the poor, the broken, the lonely, the peace givers. It starts with it, and then the pure in heart. It's a process. It's a walk. It's a relationship. It's, it's a time not to fall into two different extremes. You have to abide by rules. You become a Pharisee. 
Your religion, your relationship is exterior. It may be beautiful in your eyes. It may be beautiful in the eyes of some, but it's empty. It is also not, okay, I've come to Christ. I've been forgiven. Walk as I please. No. The hardest thing is to stay in the middle of the road. The hardest thing is to be balanced in these things. We may need rules, but then they should never be uh, the norm to guide us in our relationship. And if we are born again, we never want to have a, have a, a, a grace and a love that is fickle, that it doesn't mean anything, and have a, a, an empty relationship, a broken relationship. We want to come not as victors, not as having it all together, but as seekers. We want to come as beggars needing divine food and finding Jesus saying, if you are heavy, if you are overburdened, if you are tired, I will give you rest. Drink of the water I offer. Drink of the word I speak. And you will be pure of heart. And you will see God. May God bless you.